Hey everyone, welcome back to the Blessed Child Podcast. This is your host, Renee, aka Ren Robots. I'm going to be honest, this is the fifth time I am recording this episode. Yeah, the fifth. I'm having some serious anxiety about talking about the Moonies. What the fuck? It happened so fast. It happened out of nowhere. I was putting episode out after episode after episode, just just vibing. And then all of a sudden, I'm starting to feel like an imposter or that I'm not qualified or I have no idea what the fuck I'm talking about. And it's setting in deep. It's guilt and shame and existential dread for existing as I exist. Um, if you followed my journey on this podcast, you know that I was raised in the Moonies, born into a cult. My parents were arranged. I was a byproduct of their arranged marriage. I was supposed to be a perfect, blessed child. And I worked so hard to live up to that. And I never could because it's an ideal, an extreme ideal that doesn't exist. So growing up with those expectations and then having your parents not even see you for who you are, um, it plants something in you that is really hard to escape. It's this perfection seeking attitude and it's really isolating sometimes. And I'm also, you know, I'm a really motivated and determined person. And sometimes I like that about myself, that I'm never good enough, that I'm always striving. That was a word I used in the cult a lot. It's always striving for more, always working harder to do better and to push my limits. But sometimes it can bite you in the ass and it, it feels really, yeah, devastating to just never be happy with how you talk or how you pronunciate things or that you don't know everything you wish you knew um yeah like I'm not perfect I know that I'm dealing with that and I know in the last episode I said you know if you have people pleasing tendencies and codependent conditions from growing up the moonies practice telling yourself it's okay how you feel and feel it you're not going to feel that way forever so (laughs) Here I am. I feel insecure. I feel like an imposter. I feel like I don't know it all. And you know what? (laughs) That's okay. That's okay. I'm a vessel. I can feel these things and these emotions and process these feelings. And guess what? They're not going to last forever. I grew up in the Moonies, a notorious cult. And if I can't talk about it, who the hell can? I am qualified to talk about this. From my perspective, I'm not claiming I know it all. I'm on this journey with you guys, and we're going to get through it together. (laughs) So, yeah, that's what I've been wanting to say, and it's taken me a long time to realize that that's something that I need to say. And you are my audience. You have been here for a long time, and I want to be honest with y'all. It's not always easy to do this podcast, but thank you. Thank you for being here. Thank you for listening. Yeah, I'm not just talking into the void. I know that I have a big listening all around the world. There are people in over 50 countries tuning into this podcast. The Moonies are a global cult and a global 
a global influence and they've hurt a lot of people and a lot of us don't have a voice. So even though I I feel insecure about it, I, I'll be one of us. I'll be one of the voices that you can listen in on and listen to and you know maybe one day you'll find your voice and we'll be a lot louder. Well, there 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 are a lot of us and we're getting louder. So yeah, that's all I wanted to say. Um back to the core of this episode. We're going to talk about the sacred science and uh we're looking at it we're looking at brainwashing. Well, I've been dissecting brainwashing, thought reform and um Re-education. I've been dissecting what it means to be brainwashed, how it's done, how it's achieved. And I found a blueprint from Robert J. Lifton's book, Thought Reform and the Psychology of Totalism, a study of brainwashing in China. So basically, Robert J. Lifton printed this book in the 1960s. It's a blueprint for thought reform. It's everything he observed in China with POWs and Chinese college students with the communist influence. Now, his book is lacking a certain human touch. And um, so I'm going to be filtering it and interpreting it from my lens. But he did put out a blueprint. And there's eight criteria that he outlined eight criteria for thought reform. There's eight different, let's call them like Venn diagrams that need to be overlapping for there to be what's considered cultic control or brainwashing, or thought reform that they these eight criteria exist in society all the time, but until they're overlapping, you don't really have this extreme totalistic environment that is considered a cult. So we'll go to the book and it starts, if you if you have the book yourself and want to follow along, um, it starts with chapter 22 on page 419. It's where he uh, blueprints out ideological totalism. And this is definitely what I consider the Moonies to be, idealistic totalism authoritarian control, all these things. So the eight criteria, if you want to go back a couple episodes, starts with milieu control, basically the control of communication, information, and even self-talk, how you talk and view yourself. Um, I would consider the Moonies an insular community that had extreme milieu control, who you married, who you associated with, which jobs you got, what you did with your free time, your holidays, all that uh, is milieu control. And the second step for thought reform, the second criteria, is mystical manipulation. And Moon was an expert at this um, with the use of spirit world. You know, a lot of things that he wanted done, like the monopoly on seafood, he directed his members with the guise of spirit world, giving orders or, you know, yeah. Anyways, um, and the third one is the demand for purity, which if you were born and raised in the Moonies, you probably... Are thinking sexual purity, the demand for sexual purity was uh, a very strong influence on second generation. It um, held hands with the guilt and shame milieu. And yeah, when you control someone's sexuality, it's, it's really easy to control their life choices and their actions. Um, then you've got the cult of confession, which is pretty much a cult in and of itself. And we talked about this last episode. If you want to hear about that, go ahead and rewind one episode. Um, and now we're on the sacred science. So sacred science is a really interesting concept. Um, Robert J. Lifton outlined, 
outlines it in the book. Basically, it's a totalist milieu, and it maintains an aura of sacredness around its basic dogma. Anybody that is the originator of the word and the dogma, any of the lecturers or reverends that witness the word and the dogma, and the dogma itself is the sacred science. So what is that in the Moonies? Think divine principle. Think spirit world. Think setting conditions, spiritual and physical conditions to have its outcome in the physical world. Think pseudoscience and think spiritual healing to the point of spiritually bypassing medical issues. Think of Ansu, uh, a practice in which we hit ourselves for hours with uh, hundreds of other people singing a song and hitting yourself. Think spirits controlling your thoughts and actions. Think, um, yeah, holy salt, holy wine, purification rituals, conditions, physical conditions for purity. Um, We had, yeah, numerology, and these were all sent to me by a good friend because I expressed my anxiety over doing this, and I'm getting some help here. Um, I always thought about the sacred science being the divine principle, the four position foundation, subject-object relationship, and uh, positive and negative. But really, it's the spirit world. It's such a sacred science that the spirit world is real. Anyways, these are all core tenets of the Unification Church. They're the sacred science. The blessing is the sacred science. Everything has to revolve around, you know, everyone getting the blessing, following the true parents, uh, the true family, having reverence for, yeah, their sacred aura. Anyways, so that's a sacred science, right? So we've established what the sacred science is. And going back to what Robert J. Lifton says about this stuff is it transcends ordinary logic and makes exaggerated claims of airtight logic of absolute scientific precision. So anybody that argues with this absolute airtight logic and this absolute scientific precision becomes then immoral, irrelevant, unscientific, fallen, secular. Um, you, you, The sacred science claims like such authority and ideological totalism. Hey, I needed to stop because I really wanted to add this part, but I heard a lot that if you questioned the divine principle or moon or the movement, it was having a a lack of faith, a difficulty with your life of faith, having a challenge with your faith, um, caning out. Yeah. So basically, it's the same concept as having, yeah, a difficult time having faith for something that is not measurable or recreatable. It's the sacred science. It's not tangible. It's completely conditioning you to to mistrust your, your own senses and what you see and have an absolute life of faith and take a jump into the sacred science, which is total garbage. But it conditions you to really doubt yourself. And society also conditions you because they reinforce that, you know, if you're having doubts, this is this is the challenge in your life of faith that you need to overcome and have victory from over have victory over it. Um, Yeah. That the only way to discredit reality and evidence-based practice is to call it. Yeah. False news, fake news, unscientific, 
fallen of Satan, of the this fallen world. It's really, it's really a way for people to stop trusting their senses and what they can see with their physical eyes, what they can measure with units of measurement, what they see has course of control or human trafficking or profit taking. Um, and they, man, I, I have the feeling, but it's hard for me to say the words. Like when I witnessed slavery in Australia, um, I was in the Solomon Islands. I was fundraising in Australia to make money to go to the Solomon Islands to then witness to the natives in Aust- in the Solomon Islands. However, when I was there, I saw, yes, I saw witnessing of the natives. And then the natives would be sent to Australia to live in cabins in this place uh, near Melbourne, South Australia, in a place called Belgrave. And these cabins didn't have electricity or power. They didn't even have water. But we sent our missionaries there, and these were slaves. They, t- they took their passports, and they told them, you have to fundraise to live here, to keep the Belgrave property, you have to fundraise. So these native, indigenous Solomon Islanders would fundraise from 8 o'clock in the morning to 8 o'clock at night, and they would raise $200 a day. That was their quota. They had to make $200 a day to give back to the church, and they could keep $10 of it for themselves and for food. The one person I saw doing that was this older single mom in her 30s, and she had two children living in a cabin with no power or electricity. And she came home and got to keep $10 to feed her family. This is slavery. This is indentured servitude. There's no way for her to get out. She said her passport was held by the reverend, and every time she brought it up, they would just swap reverends on her. So there was no accountability. They had her passport. They promised her a college education when she got to Australia. That's how they got her into Belgrave. And it had already been six years. She already had two children living in the cabins in Belgrave. I believe it's called Belgrave. And when I brought this up, when I brought this story up to my own mom, I said, isn't this slavery? She said, it doesn't matter what the physical conditions are. It matters about the heart. As long as she's laying the conditions down for her restoration and her family's restoration, she's going to be taken care of. So that is the sacred science. You you can't trust what's right in front of you. What's glaring at you is human trafficking and slavery and the mistreatment of people and children. But there is a sacred science you can fall back on that bypasses all logic because there's some spiritual influence. There's some condition being laid. There's some providence of restoration being had that all this human suffering is worth eternal life at the end of life, you know? It's worth the, the suffering, you know, is justified and nobody's held accountable for, yeah, the real suffering that's happening. That's uh, an example of the sacred science that's going on in my head. The sacred science is a way for Moonies to bypass a lot of real suffering that is going on. And who's taking that profit at the end? Let's talk about it. How do you measure the suffering in the Moonies? How do you measure the course of control? How do you measure the guilt and shame? 
let's let's talk about the universal the only universal truth which is money everybody believes in money everybody everybody on the planet has a currency if i don't trust who you are i will trust your dollar that is a universal trust now let's now that we've measured that trust let's look at reverend moon and his empire let me just name some of some of the many multi-million dollar businesses he's made on coercive control, human trafficking, and guilt and shame. I'm just going to name a few that roll off my tongue. All right, we've got the Washington Times, the New Yorker Hotel. We've got UTS in New York. We've got, up until recently, the University of Bridgeport. You've got the Kirov Dance Academy in, in Maryland. You've got the Little Angels in Korea, you've got Sunhawk and Sunhua University. You've got New Eden Academy. You had Bridgeport International Academy, New Hope in multiple places. Then let's go to the weapons of mass destruction that they have. You've got car arms, magnum research, auto ordnance, Tongil, conglomerate of Tongil. Then you've got food, True World's Foods, multiple other grocery stores I can't even name. And then the medical the medical branch is ridiculous. They have so many pseudoscience medical treatments that they're selling for ridiculous prices. Then you've got the blessing itself, which is a cash cow of human trafficking. They make over $24 million in a in a mass wedding in a single day. Uh, then you've got the hospitals in Champyong. And I mean, the list goes on. There's master marines. Let's just stop there because it's there's too much. There's over a thousand front groups and organizations. And let's just let's just quantify the profits of those organizations alone. Think about the fishing industry. Think about the monopoly on the fishing industry. If over what 60 to 80 percent of the fishing industry in the United States is Mooney labor, that's already in the billions of dollars. All right. But then you've got weapons of mass destruction. The New York Police Department, they have a contract with Car Arms or one of those Mooney weapons manufacturing companies. They're, they're contracted with government through the Master Marines. Okay, you've got millions, you've got billions, possibly even trillions of dollars in the Moon Empire. Uh, what is it? Preston Moon is currently in a lawsuit right now over $500 million that he transferred into a black box Swiss account known as Kingdom Investment Foundation, right? He's in a lawsuit with his mom and his other brother and sister, or is it? Yeah, anyways, over $500 million. That's just a drop in the bucket. That's just a drop in the bucket, okay? So when you think about course of control, human trafficking, money laundering, when you think about exploiting people and slavery, think of the Moonies. Because even though all of this is equatable to billions of dollars, think of all our parents who died homeless with no insurance, no retirement, nothing, not even paycheck, no pension, nothing. That There's a pretty strong correlation. And how did they do this? How did the Moonies do this? It's the eight criteria of thought reform. They're not stupid. Our parents are not stupid. The Moonies aren't stupid. They just have all of these little criteria in place perfectly to create, yeah, robots that would give their life for this empire. Uh, this is, 
This is why we're digging into it because it's very complex and I want you guys to understand. So let's just read straight from the book what a sacred science is. So it's an airtight logic, right? And it discredits anybody that debates the logic. So if you were a young Mooney at 15 and you wanted to debate the divine principle, yeah, you'd probably get smacked across the face, right? If you were dating somebody at the age of 16, 17, if you even had a crush, you would get sent away. There is unspeakable abuse that could be done to you and it would have been, it would have been justified, right? I, I was flung across my living room when I said I had a boyfriend at the age of 22, right? So, I mean, if it happened to me, how many other people did it happen to? Um, <laughs> it's not okay. <sighs> All right, reading from the book, the assumption here is not so much that man can be God, but rather that man's ideas can be God, that an absolute science of ideas exists or is at least very close to being attained that this science can be combined with an equally equally absolute body of moral principles and that the resulting doctrine is true for all men at all times. That's basically what Moon did. He said there was absolute universal principles of what absolute faith, absolute love, absolute obedience that were universal, eternal and unchanging. And that was the divine principle. So straight out of here, it's an airtight logic that somebody claims as yeah, absolute science. So so nobody like debates it. They just agree with it and do some crazy shit. Um yeah, but but let's talk about why this works. So at the level of the individual, the totalist sacred science can offer much comfort and security. Its appeal lies in its seeming unification of the mystical and the logical modes of experience. In psychoanalytical terms, it unifies the primary and secondary thought processes, and this can be very gratifying. So think about the Moonies and how comforted they feel by knowing that the physical and the spiritual are real and that conditions that they lay down can affect the outcome of reality. Think about how comforting that is to think that if you do 40 bows in the morning and then take a cold shower and sprinkle all your food with a little bit of salt and pray to true parents think about how comforting that control of the unknown is because that's what's the that's the lure there's so many things people don't know but if you have one leader charismatic leader claiming that they know it all and that if you follow them you will also in turn have the secrets to the universe. Think about the think about it. That's comforting. That feels insightful. That's mystical, magical. And and it feels transcendent to have that kind of logic. So that's what Robert J. Lifton calls, yeah, the hook. That's the hook. It feels good to both rationally and non-rationally derive this sense of pleasure from knowing it all even if you don't it feels good he also says the strong the hold of that sacred science is so good it can achieve complete consumption of somebody's mental processes so that if someone starts to feel questionable or question they question the ideas or the the sacred science uh you become guilty and afraid 
Wow. Okay. So Robert J. Lifton says that that hold on that kind of transcendent logic can be so powerful that when you start to see the contradictions in the sacred science, you're going to feel um, a strong, yeah, you're going to feel a strong sense of guilt and shame and become afraid. So an example I can give for that is I started high school in a public school at 17. And I, you know, I was a blessed child. I felt like I was sent there to do something spiritually amazing and bond with all the other blessed children there and really influence the school. And I became really good friends with a lot of outside people, a lot of secular people. And I made these genuine relationships that weren't based on conditions and conditional actions and being a productive workforce or going to service for peace projects or being on the weight team and dancing for a school, like genuine relationships. I wasn't like, I wasn't having any cult what's the word common ground and I was just making genuine relationships and it felt really good to have genuine friendships with no condition it was just fun and genuine and like a real support system but the further I got into these relationships actually something totally unexplainable happened I I felt more and more distrust for these people especially myself the the more I dived into genuine relationships at the age of 17, the more unstable I felt internally about who I was, what I was doing, how I was spending my time, who I could trust. If spirit world was watching me and my actions and judging me deeply, and I became very, very insecure, and I had some serious anxiety about those relationships and the stability of them and the reality is that I was suffering from the guilt and shame instilled in me from the sacred science, the milieu control, and all the other eight criteria of thought reform. It was my, when your thought reform starts wavering, when you have evidence that your sacred science is not airtight, you're not going to blame the sacred science. You're going to blame yourself. And that guilt is enough to drive you back into the cult. Um, after I became friends with a lot of people, I went right back into a workshop at UTS winter workshop, 2007 or 2006. And I got my mission again. I was a blessed child. I was getting prepared for the blessing. I had my sacred science and purpose. I had been fully reindoctrinated. It's called a period of maximum totalist activity that's called a workshop i had my immediate authority reverend shanker there and uh, reverend jenkins was there and i was reprogrammed there was virtually no escape from the milieu's ever-pressing demands and expectations of me and i went back to school and pretty much broke off a lot of those blossoming genuine relationships and yeah that's uh sacred science for you that's part of it is the maximum totalist activity um, can take advantage of people's guilt and shame and reprogram them, re-educate them to do whatever the cult wants you to do. There is no compromise. You can't coexist with believing in your sacred science and also doubting it. You might blend some of the sacred science with what you know is true, um, 
but you're always going to have a little bit of cognitive dissonance in both hands. It is debilitating and crippling for someone's self-expression and creative development. It is stifling for your mental and emotional growth. It is also debilitating to your spiritual and religious growth as a human being. When you are in a cult, you're taught not to trust your senses. You're taught to completely depend and rely on the sacred science. And because of that, because you can't even trust your own senses, you don't see what's right in front of you, what the universe is trying to tell you. You can't prioritize yourself. You can't form and develop your own worldview your own unique perspective of the world and you wait for someone else to tell you what to think how to feel how to act to confirm your reality and it is very confusing and limiting so if you do believe in a sacred science i want to tell you try to be a little more open-minded try to be a little more flexible Try not to get mad when you're wrong, because being wrong is beautiful. We don't know everything. There's no way we could ever know everything. One truth can be true for someone and simultaneously be wrong for someone else. No, there is no one answer. There is no one size fits all. There is no religion or sacred science or text that works for everybody. And that's okay. It's going to hurt. It's going to hurt a lot to let go of that transcendent comfort. But once you do, you can really grow. And yeah, I think that's how I want to end my episode today on sacred science. The Moonies have a lot of sacred science. Um, We named a few in the beginning. I'm sure you can think of a whole lot more, a whole lot more. And if you want to write them to me, go ahead, send it to me on Instagram or Facebook. Um, on Instagram, I am Blessed Child Podcast. On Facebook, it's Ren Robot. And I would like to hear from you. How did you get out of the sacred science? What did it feel like? How are you evolving now? What are your spiritual practices or worldviews now? Um, thank you for tuning in to my rant on sacred science. Next time, we're going to talk about loaded language. And I look forward to hearing from you guys. Take care of your mental health, take care of your well-being, and we'll talk again soon.